If you position a conversation with someone and say, hey, look, what do you think is a reasonable KPI on all of these metrics? If they give you an unreasonable one, you've got to take a look at yourself there. You've either recruited the wrong person because maybe you've got the wrong recruit or your education system doesn't work. Because if they don't believe they can deliver, they're probably not the right person for the job. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Mark Castley, a man whose clientele can't even be named because they're all under NDAs. I mean, when you see luxury properties behind them, I mean, it is the real deal. I mean, this guy does over a billion dollars in sales per quarter, right? $4 billion of sales per year, has 15% year-over-year growth, is doing some insane things. We're going to talk about some stories that we can't talk about, but even the greatest ones can't even be mentioned. So Mark, I am thoroughly honored that you had the time to come on and speak with me on this show. And if you'll get us started, like how did you build your business to over a billion dollars in sales per quarter? Hey man, thank you so much for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Um, a billion dollars in sales volume per quarter. It sounds really sexy, right? Um, and I'll tell you the truth, where that comes from is being in a position where when you started off in real estate, which is where I was, uh, I was in a salary of £40 a week. <laughs> you know, like that's like $50 a week. T-boy, right at the bottom of the ladder and started off like literally making the tea for people. And that just gives you that real drive and that real passion because every single person you meet is earning more money than you. You know, you couldn't be any further down. So, you know, when we were doing a hundred million a quarter, it wasn't good enough. And right now, you know, we do over a billion dollars a quarter. Um, and we do it for many different reasons, man, right? We've got a great management team. We've got a great um, brokerage, you know, the actual sales agents, rental agents, we're, we're in great shape, but we're pushing, you know, I want that to be more than a billion. That's the goal is a billion a month, right? That's where we want to be. And so, as you continue to ascend, I mean, a billion dollars in sales a quarter is, is an yep. astronomically high number, but it yep. sounds like you're still putting yourself in the mindset of the poor person you were when you first got started. Yeah. Man. And you know what, right? If you forever live your life um, in a way where you believe you can always do better, you can always learn more, naturally you will. And it's not a case of never being happy because I'm consistently happy with everything. I love my life, I love my family, I love my colleagues, I love everyone around me, I'm happy with everyone, but we can do better. And we can do better by you know, being there for each other, by learning from each other. And when you've got a family, they push you. I have a wife and a daughter and it's, uh, you know, they're, nev they're never happy, they're pushing me every day. So yeah, if it, I love the way you phrase that. You know, put yourself in the position of the, the poor version of you, which you once were or I once was. And that's probably where the mindset comes from. It's a great way to phrase it. And it's so interesting because you're not keeping the poor mindsets, right? I mean, sometimes people have poor mindsets in the sense that I can't do this. The things that keep people poor, you're just telling yourself, right? I mean, and, and let me know if I got this right everybody around you has something to teach you. Like how do you structure like the humility? And I mean, cause you're, I could tell 
you're so happy, like your persona, yep. your appearance, your smiles. Yep. And you know, the thing is, I, I used to have, when I moved to Dubai, I had an incredible ego, thought I was the best at everything and I wasn't, didn't know anything at all. And uh, through extensive travel and spending time with some extremely wealthy people and spending time with extremely knowledgeable people, um, you realize you don't know anything. And when you put yourself in that position, it doesn't mean I can't educate because I'm a coach. I teach people on a daily basis, but I learn more than I teach. And I learn from any position at the company. It doesn't matter where you sit within my company. People are educating me daily, whether it be life lessons or on real estate. So that was a big one, you know, drop the ego. And uh, that's when the revenue started to soar, when everybody was a part of the team and it wasn't just a one man show. And that's, it's a really interesting space to be in. Yeah. What a great gem as far as team building. I'd love for you to talk to me about your rise to work with these A-level, A-celebrity style clients. Like, was that yeah. a journey? Did you skip straight to the front of the line? No, man, it was a tough, it's tough, right? Because um, like with anything, the best way to grow is actually organically. You know, that rapid unicorn growth is very rare and it's hard to sustain. Um, but if you've got uh, rapid organic growth, put you in a great space, right? Because how can you teach somebody to do something that you haven't done yourself? It's a problem that most business owners have if they've come into wealth or they've come into some sort of cash. They set a business up without going through the process from the bottom to the top. How do you teach somebody how to make a cold call if you've never made one? So, you know, the growth from me being a T-boy in Liverpool, working class, like super working class, to now CEO of what is, in you know, many people's opinion, one of the largest real estate companies in Dubai, specifically for what we do, uh, it, takes a, it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of smart work. It takes a lot of mistakes, man. You know, I made so many mistakes and admitting what the mistakes are, then trying to be better. And that's the goal, right? constantly trying to be better. Yeah. And so tell me about the timeline, the time frame of this evolution from T-Boy to now. How much time has transpired and what give us some peaks and valleys along the way. So I started um like I said as a T-Boy um that was tough because I was playing football, uh, soccer for you guys. Um thought I was good, wasn't really very good. Um thought I was going to be professional but wasn't. So Got stuck into real estate, loved it. Everybody had more cash than me. Got really good at it because I'm a people person. People like me. Um, it's a skill that some people have naturally. Some people can learn it, but I'm a likable person. So it was really easy to, I started off in rentals. It was an easy process to go through. Started doing really well. Started buying my own real estate. Then the market crashed and I lost everything. I just met my girlfriend, who's now my wife. Um, she was my girlfriend at the time. We'd just met. I lost everything. 2009, I was like, this is not ideal. <laughs> Let's go to Dubai. So I came here by myself for a month and uh, was one of the only people like me here. So bubbly personality, ready to make some cash, ready to put in whatever needed to be put in. Made a load of cash. It was excellent. And then set my own company up here and that went really well. And then it crashed and burned. Uh, 
Then I moved to the US. That was amazing. I was a real estate coach. That was one of the best three years of my life. But my heart was always in Dubai because it's, uh, it's the safest place in the world. You know, like, like it's voted the safest place in the world. It's the number one tourist destination. So we came back and it's um, probably the best thing we've ever done coming back here because we picked up when the market just went wild and we managed to ride that. Uh, and I had a wealth of experience from the UK, from being here before and from the US to piggyback on. And that travel was really, you know, a godsend because we're able to educate the people around me based on my experiences elsewhere. So it was, it's, it's been a ride, right? It's, it's not like uh, it wasn't spoon fed. It's not easy to walk into a country and be at the top. Um, it's, it's not something that I would ever recommend trying. I had to go through the process to be where I am. Uh, but now I feel comfortable teaching people because I've gone through that process. Wow. And your clientele, as you started to scale your clientele in Dubai, was it mostly people in Dubai? Was it people from the US? Like, So we have a big mix. So we've got like, um, like it's a massive, massive melting pot of cultures, nationalities, and there's a massive wealth gap. So there's people here who aren't super wealthy. And then you've got the, like the ultra rich and we deal with everybody, right? So, um, we call it the, the American dream is now the Dubai reality because, uh, mm. you know, I was in the, the, it was nice, nice phrase that was, so I was in, in the press today talking about that. And it really is people are no longer buying second homes here. The celebrities, the rich, the uber rich are buying primary residences here. They want to live here. Uh, and that's who, our, that's who our clientele really are. You know, in the most part, we deal with a lot of celebrities. We deal with, you know, a lot of high profile, um, you know, three comma billionaire uh, profile clients. One of the reasons they use us is because of our discretion. Um, I would absolutely love to reel all the names off to you uh, because it's a sexy, sexy client list, you know, but one of, one of the things we're great at is, is the discretion around that. But I mean, you can check in the press, everybody's buying here, everybody. Wow. And so you mentioned safety. What are some of the other reasons that people are going to Dubai? No, there's no tax. Let's start with number one, man. There's no tax. So when you see how much your income should be, there's nothing to be deducted. That's how much goes into your bank every month. That is unheard of across the world, right? So if you can come here and earn, you know, a lot of money and it's tax-free. And then you've got, like I say, safety, you've got world-class healthcare. And I've got a seven-year-old daughter and we've got, you know, industry-leading education. It's outrageous, the education here. It just makes her a great place to be. The weather's not bad either. It's hot all the time, Matt. <laughs> it's not yeah. too bad, the weather. So generally, like if you look at the U.S., you have some states yeah. that have no state income tax. I mean, obviously there's a federal tax. But usually in the places with no state income tax, they got outrageous property taxes or there's some way they make up for that. Like, no obviously, tax. I mean, if they've got to have some way of paying for the world-class healthcare, like how do they do it? So there's no property tax. There's no property tax. There's, it just doesn't exist here. And the thing is, Dubai, credit to, well, the UAE, credit to them. When they had all of this income from, it's an oil, well, was an oil-rich state. 
what they what they're doing is they set out foundations for an attractive expat community and they look after their residents so i feel like i'm very well looked after and i'm a you know i'm an expat the locals who are from here are very well looked after and the cash that's generated from what was previously an oil rich state and is now really tourism it goes back into the economy and you find yourself appreciating it here so much more because there's no there's no times where you're getting charged for things you shouldn't be getting charged for. You earn your money, it goes into your bank. You know, it's great. It's a great place to be. Wow. Well, that makes total sense. I mean, my goodness, like if you got someone making a lot of money like these A-list celebrities and a lot of the, your clientele, like that's a big savings not having to pay so much tax and yeah, so exactly. do you have a lot of outreach methods to acquire new expat clientele? So, you know, you'll see behind me, you can't see the full thing, but our company is called luxuryproperty.com and that's our URL. So if you type anything into Google that references any type of luxury property or in Dubai, we rank extremely high for this and our traffic on the website is outrageous. We rank as high as most portals. So we get a lot of people through our website. Uh, we do loads on social media. I mean, I know you're, you guys are big on this and we do loads on social media that works. You know, I've got a face for radio, uh, you know, but I'm on social media a lot. We do a lot on video. I think we're a people business. So it's important people get to know me and get to know the rest of the team because people buy from people. We use AI a lot, but people still buy from people. Uh, so, uh, you know, we try and be on video as much as possible. That's why things like this, I love connecting with people like you. You're amazing. I love everything that you're doing. This will, this podcast for sure will generate me some business. Like it, yeah. every time I do a podcast, I get business from it. And that's because it, this out, this type of outreach is the best because it's real. Yeah. I mean, you get the initial surge of views and connections and requests, and then it's like, it's the content that can get chopped up and distributed uh, and Exactly. Absolutely. Wow. So, I mean, what's so crazy is thinking about your journey, 2009, right? You're, you're losing everything. And so you've built this and you've even had some, some valleys since 2009, like you built this in the last 14 years. Yeah. Like when did it really click together for you and start taking off? I think truthfully, probably, um, probably last year. I think, you know, last year was the, the moment where me and the missus, we sat down and we said, wow, this is, um, this is different now. It really is different. And the reason for that is when you're doing a lot, sometimes it doesn't feel like you're being uh, paid what you believe you deserve. You know, so sometimes you can do a 12-hour day and... When you look at your bank at the end of the month, it doesn't reflect the actual energy that you put into that day. And I had a big switch in how I think about things. I'd sooner do a really solid four hours than a week 12. Sometimes people think they've done 12 hours, but they haven't. And last year, when we started to take a look at the business and where we are and um, you know what the people around us are making, and I think that's important. You know, we have a big, we place a lot of importance on everybody in the company being in a really great position. We only do organic growth. So I don't just mass recruit. We have to all be extremely wealthy. And if somebody isn't, we fix it. I'd sooner 
everybody be wealthy rather than like just two people be wealthy and have a team of people who aren't earning that much cash. And I think the, that mindset really just just you know, switched last year. And um, we're in a great space and I can't see this slowing down. I think we've got another three or four years of, of acceleration, to be honest. I think that's where we are. Yeah. So when you switch to this, everybody be wealthy mindset, which is an amazing mindset to have. I mean, usually like a lot of people that try that have some obstacles like, well, in order for someone to be wealthy, they actually have to do the work and do the steps. What are the ways yep. that you can ensure everybody is wealthy in your company? So I'm really fortunate because um, the, be the, the best way to be wealthy is to have lead overflow. Regardless yeah. of what anybody says, if you work in real estate, the best way to grow is lead overflow. So if, I, if, if I've got solid KPIs that suggest a 5% conversion rate, and I know that somebody needs to do uh, five deals to be extremely wealthy a month, and I give them at least 100 leads a month, the logic suggests that everything will make sense at the end of that month, or at least at the end of the quarter, accumulatively. And I don't know how many people look at it like that, but that's exactly how we do it. And the law of averages and numbers don't lie. If you convert at 5% because of the tools around you, 5% uh, of conversions makes you wealthy. And I give you 100 leads a month, we're, we're going to be set. Yeah. And anybody, you know, we look at this. I, I have, uh, and I know we're tight on time, so I'll be really quick with this, but this sounds barbaric, but it was the best thing I've ever done. I have two management meetings a day, 8.30 and 1.30. And the rules are, 8.30, we plan what's going on today. And nobody speaks unless it's urgent until 1.30. So there's no like constant communication where everybody's questioning. You just go and get everything done that needs to get done. 1.30, we brief again what needs to be done. And we go again. And our conversion rate went up about 30% because of this structured communication. Um, and the set time where we all communicate as a squad. I've only got six in my management team, but we all sit together twice a day and we make a lot more money because of it. So it's small things like this, which have helped us progress. How long are those meetings and what's the structure of them? 15 minutes. And they go really simple, uh, like no, no uh, fluff. It's just 8.30, what are we doing today? And then everybody goes around, here's what we're doing today. All right, let's make sure it's delivered. And then at 1.30, any problems we need to be aware of in real estate. You know, I've got uh, 75 agents on average. <laughs> uh, we do, you know, 30 or 40 transactions a week, problems arise. So we, I need to know what's going on. Everybody around the table needs to know what's going on. If there are any problems, we solve them and we move on. You know, it's not like a drawn out one hour meeting, max 20 minutes. What's going on? Does anyone need any help? Let's go. Wow. And this, I mean, basically you're having two meetings, but you're, it's really 30 minutes a day to get on the same page, to get ready and rocking. And you solve so many problems this way because what sometimes somebody won't tell you something until the next day, if you have one meeting a day, or they'll WhatsApp or they'll forget, or they'll tell the wrong person. This is just a real open forum. Let's just all talk about this and let's progress. And as a result, then you're able to be hyper vigilant about, hey, you don't contact me at 3 p.m. You don't contact me at 10 a.m. It's like you talk to me at 8.30 or at 1.30. Yeah, that's it. If it's urgent, 
gets straight in here. If it's not, let's all go and make some money. Yeah. And it's good because they know they have access to you at least twice a day. And as a result, so so basically as you're planning your your brokerage and your teams, it's like I want someone to do five transactions a month. So basically like that equates to probably something like thirty thousand or fifty thousand a month or whatever that is. And and so you, you build a wealth number for someone and then there's do you have like people in there teaching them, coaching them on how to convert the leads, holding them accountable to the metrics? Yep. So we have a trainer manager who's dedicated just to reverse engineer KPIs, build out training strategies around each KPI. And then we have line managers who are there to deliver the hands-on, hey, you've got a deal, let's get this deal over the line. Because you've got the, the pipeline stuff is your KPI. You know, what business am I closing in 90 days? The business you're closing today, you need your manager to help you with. So we've got both angles. Plus I have an open door policy. You know, I've, uh, like I say, 75 agents. I, I'm probably in, I don't broker, uh, but I'm probably in 20 deals every week. And it might just be a small percentage of me is in the deal, but I'm in it with them because they come in, Mark, what do we do here? Can you help me with this? What would you say to this guy? What, what should I say about this? How do I object? Uh, how do I handle this objection? And I think, it, you know, the system right now works. Yeah. And so the open door policy, is it is it open at certain times? Like 8.30, 1.30 is open all day? All the time. All the, time. Yeah. the thing is my managers should be able to produce with two meetings a day. I don't mm. expect my agents to ever, ever be restricted from access. They mm. should never. And it, what happens, I'll be in a management meeting and agents will walk in because they know I've got one of them here or I've got all of them. Give me some help. So the my philosophy is they should always have access to help whenever they need it. The managers are a different level and should be able to plan that, that day out with just the two meetings. Wow, this is really interesting. And this is a little bit counter to a lot of what's being taught in the US, which I really, really like. So so basically, like you're actually protecting your manager's time, but yep. for you yourself, you're always open access. You know what my biggest fear is, Matt? Somebody not doing a deal that I could have helped them on. Mm. It's, a big, it's a big fear I have. And I, I genuinely worry that I hope they all believe they've got access to me because I've done this for 15 years. I probably know the answer. So who's best? You know, the management are equally as good as me. But we sh we should be given as much access as they need, yeah. because they're the most the most important people at the business are the agents. Everybody thinks it's them, right? It's not me. It's not me. I'm I'm the, you know it's not it's not the management. It's the agents. It's the seventy five guys who grind it out daily. They're the most important people. They pay the bills. It's not me. I don't pay the bills. They pay the bills. So if you're not there for them, somebody else will be, and mm -hmm. that's just the just the truth of it. And I can guarantee you now, every single one in my team um, has been involved in a deal with me before. It's not like there's this arms length. That's something that's common in the US. I was in the US for three years, it's common. You know, there's a hierarchy and I get it. I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it. We do a billion a quarter in sales. So we're getting something right. And something I very, very right. It's working all right, yeah. So it's, it's important to know that uh, there's no right way of doing anything. The right way for us is we are a coaching company before anything. I'll help you with whatever you need.
Yeah. And so this creates culture. I mean, true culture because they they have access to you. One of the concerns, right, of other CEOs that might want to take on this model is, well, when do I get time, right? Concentrated focus time to do the vision work and so on and so forth. So given that you have an open door policy 24-7, what does it look like for you to do the CEO elements of the business? Um, it's a great question. And the answer to that was the trainer manager. So when I brought in my head of training, a lot of the questions that was being asked that I would still answer could be resolved, structured. So now we have daily training sessions where agents can dip into that if it's a generic question, if it's not time sensitive, and if there's not another manager available, then they'll dip into a daily training session. And they're structured, you know, it'll be qualification, it could be, um, it could be absolutely anything, buyers, sellers, all different training sessions that they can dip into and they've got access to a training manager. And that was the answer. So right now I get home, I don't work 12 hour days. I just don't. Um, I, I'm in the office for eight every day minimum and I leave at no later than six every day. I have tea with my family every single day, weekends, play golf, spend time with the family. If the phone rings, I answer it, I'm available. But it's, I, I have plenty of time and so does my management team. They are not, their work-life balance is right on point. And mm. I think it might be because there's a spread of help. Yeah. The, the challenge for a lot of businesses is getting to the point where they have the financial means to hire these managers. Tell yes. us about the journey that you went through in the early phases where like, what did you have to do to build the business to a level where you could hire these people? They had to buy into me. So the first person I brought in was, he's now my managing director. He was a sales director at the time. And I met him three times and the model was of interest to him. The plan, you know, I told him what we were going to do. I said, this is where I'm going with the business. But that was 20%. 80% of them wanting to be on my team was me. And it was, how do I conduct myself? What are my morals? I'm a family man. So if anyone asks me who I am, I'm a dad, I'm a husband. Nothing else matters, right? I'm a dad and I'm a husband. And I am very honest with people about that. Um, my wife and daughter, the number one and one, they're equal, <laughs> uh, two people in my life, right? So them values come across when you're hiring. And if you, if you maintain them values, all my management team are seen like my family. I treat them all um as as colleagues but with the uh, my ethics so i treat them as if they were family and they would do anything for me because i would do anything for them and you know the truth is it's never required matt it's never required that they do anything for me right i've never asked them to do anything for me and they've never asked me the knowledge that we both would is enough to know that We've got a nice culture. And I think that's how, how to recruit, be somebody that others want to work for. Yeah. And oftentimes the, the tension is, you know, the familial nice can often lead to a, to being walked on or taken advantage of. How yep. do you convey your values and your process in a way that communicates I'm here for you, but also communicates you know, like a sense of 
you know, backbone so that it's not just like a carte blanche? So there's uh, two ways. One, um, I mean, I'm six foot four, uh, no hair, uh, zero BS guy anyway, from a working class part of the UK. Um, so I have that personality where I am super friendly, but like there's a line that you will never ever cross with me, but not everybody has that. So the other way of doing that and a way that we use really well is KPIs. So we have standard KPIs and if they get dropped below, there's issues. If them KPIs are met, there's never any problems. And KPIs are dynamic, they're seasonal, and we push them up and we drop them when need be. And that's allowed us to grow. It really has. Yeah, and you let you let the standards be the bad guy, not you be the bad guy. Yeah, and the standards have to be set by them. I tell everybody this. This is the best piece of advice. Anybody who's listening to this right now, best piece of advice I will ever give you. When you're setting rules, never set them. Always let the other person set the rules. Suggest what they should be. Give indication of what the rules should look like. But have them set by the person who's going to be delivering them. And you will very, very rarely have them missed. It's the subway effect or the Ikea effect where people are involved in the process. I've always said this, I say to the management team, it has to be their idea. When I'm launching something new, I'll pull the whole team in and say, what do you think about this? What should our KPIs be? And they will tell me. And you know what? I've never done it in 15 years and then be wrong. Ever. So you say to your team, what's a reasonable amount of leads that we should close out of 100? They will always say 10 to 15. And I say, well, that's a lot. I think five is reasonable. That's 5% conversion rate. They have given you, and they all go five's great, 5% is a great conversion rate. How many people should we take on viewings? One in five, all right, brilliant. So 20% of the people that come in, and you start building these KPIs out with people, you're in a really interesting space because they set them. They never, ever give low KPIs. And that's something I did with management, and it worked really well. And so these KPIs are being set with management, not necessarily with the individual agents, right? Both. So the, the, te- the management is responsible for the team. The team are responsible for themselves, individual and team. Yeah. I mean, because there's a real cost to run the websites, to the social media, et cetera, whether it's paid ads or in your case, if it's organic, it's still like content's being created. So you got video editors and videographers yep. and so on and so forth. So th- there's a real cost to these leads and there needs to be a real conversion rate in order to create return for everybody. Yep. And, but you've never had an issue of someone setting a KPI or uh, too low that you guys can't get good return in the business? Never, because they don't. If you position a conversation with someone and say, hey, look, what do you think is a reasonable KPI on all of these metrics? If they give you an unreasonable one, you've got to take a look at yourself there. You've either recruited the wrong person because Mm. maybe you've got the wrong recruit or your education system doesn't work. Because if they don't believe they can deliver, they're probably not the right person for the job. And you know, so, if they... yeah. So essentially, if, if they're giving a low number, then you know, hey, this is not a fit. We need to move on. Yeah. And that's a great conversation to have. You've told me you should only be doing one in a hundred. That means you're having 99 calls with somebody who said they want to buy a house and you can't sell them a house. That doesn't sound right to me. 
it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound right. What's the reason you believe that to be the case? Now, that then boils down to, oh, maybe the leads aren't great. So that's, a, that's your problem, not theirs. You need to fix lead quality. You need to do better for your agents. And if you keep pointing the finger back at yourself, your business will be great because you're constantly improving. Yeah. And so scaling organically can be challenging for a lot of people. I mean, scaling paid ads is not as hard because you click a few buttons and you pay a few more dollars and leads come in. Yeah. What, if, what strategies have you guys used to scale the organic lead volume? Um, social media. Social media does really well for us. We, we put out shareable content. You know, I, I talk a lot about the market. I give loads of education out on Instagram um, and it's shareable and people do share it because we can track, we can see what people are doing. And my videos, uh, my MDs videos, they get shared so much. And that gives us not just lead volume, it gives us um, exclusive lead volume. I get so many calls for listings because they've seen my videos and then that's like a referral. You know, referrals are the best business. That's great business. And that's exactly what these um, social media leads are because they feel like they know you. If you're putting out videos without your face, if it's just a property tour, the lead, you know, conversion rates will be low. But if it's this face, which is, you know, I've already told you, it's not a great face. But if it's out there and people call, conversion rates are really high off the back of that. Now, you have some really high-end clients. I mean, like yep. movie stars, et cetera. How, how does, I mean, is it just round robin? Is there like a sense of like, okay, this client's going to buy a $50 million property. They go to go to one of our top agents. How do you guys handle the distribution of these leads? So lead distribution will, it, there's two ways. One, it will come in on the, li the listing agent's property. So if they get the lead, fair play, that's them. Because we do have, you'd be surprised the amount of leads that come in through our website, high profile VIP clients, and it's their uh, rep or their PA. They've come in off the back of the website and they're out viewing with one of our agents. And then we get mandated by uh, the ultra wealthy will come in and say, here's what we're looking for. We need to be looked after. What I, I like to do is personality profile here. Who's the best personality? Because a lot of our agents have similar skill sets, but they're better with different people. So if somebody is better suited to this client profile, that's typically who will get it. Um, but we, I try and keep her as fair as possible. I don't think anybody's better than anybody else you see. I don't believe that. I think somebody may, may deliver a better result one week than another. But I think everybody's as equal in real estate. I really do. Yeah. Equal yeah. and in this case, different, right? Because they're yeah. different personalities. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. And so, I mean, you guys have 125 staff members. Yep. Is that like 50 staff and 75 agents or how is that broken yeah. out? Yeah, yeah, 75 agents, 50 we call them, so we've got operations, so I've got content, I've got a tech, we've got propriety, custom-built CRM, uh, custom-built website, we have a custom-built mobile app, all in-house. Um, you mentioned before, four videographers, one in-house videographer who just does all our social content. So we've got a, a big squad of people, like is a, a big, big operation. So what do you see as the vision? I mean, my goodness, what you built is so, I mean, I've, you've already talked about a billion dollars a month instead of a billion dollars a quarter, but what do you see as like maybe the five, 10 year vision for 
luxury properties. I, I believe that um, we'll, we'll grow outside of Dubai. I think, you know, next stage for us is probably into Saudi. Um, I don't know how much you've seen on Saudi. It's massive over here. I mean, I think there's a lot to be done over there. I think there's a lot to be done in Asia for us. I think our brand works amazingly well. Uh, and obviously, with my experience in the US and Canada, there is definitely scope for offices throughout Canada and throughout the US. And I think that's what it looks like as it gets a lot more regulated here. That's what will happen. We will start to push into them uh, core territories, which are, we may even go into India um, because a lot of the number one demographic of buyers in Dubai is Indians. So it's, there's a lot of synergy between the two. So international growth is, you know, that's more than on the cards. Wow. This is so cool, man, to see that you're going from the working class to running an operation of over a billion dollars a quarter, $4 billion a year in a matter of like less than 14 years. Yep. How impressive. So if someone were sitting in the seat that you were sitting back in 2009, what would be your advice to them? I love this question. Um, Find a way to be useful. So find a way to be useful that other people will pay you for. And that sounds really basic, right? But that's the best way to grow. So if you are, um, if you're going into your job and you're doing the same thing every single day, you'll probably get paid the same thing every, every month. But if you find a way to be useful, your salary changes. And if you have a mindset where you think, how do I be more useful? your salary will keep changing. And all of a sudden, you become the guy who's very useful in that space. And then you start commanding what you want. And then you teach other people how to be useful. And all of a sudden, you have a business. And honestly, it's, it's, it's that. And I say this to, to my guys every day, find a way to be useful to your clients. You know, you opening a door is not useful. It's not, it's not a useful use of your time. You need to find a way to be useful. You'll make a load of cash. Wow. Such great advice. What is the craziest real estate transaction or experience you've had so far? So I've been in a lot, um, a lot of tr- crazy transactions. I think the one that I can think of offhand is a couple of years ago, I think probably about seven or eight years ago now, uh, the palm-shaped island in, uh, in Dubai. So I live on, it's called Palm Jumeirah. So you've got loads of apartments and you've got loads of villas on these things. And we got a villa that we sold and it was Colonel Gaddafi. So he was the uh, ex-Libyan, uh, I think he was the president. He'd just been killed, right? And they're at war. We've got the villa. We sold the villa. We were instructed to sell the villa. And at the time, his... Uh, power of attorney flew in to handle the transaction and mine and your passport number will be you know six or seven digits i don't know this guy's passport number was 11 <laughs> like so he was super high up in this space comes in fully furnished villa so like five thousand square foot big villa comes in fully fully furnished and there's a picture on the wall of the whole Gaddafi family so he came in, he took the picture off the wall and said, everything else you can keep. And we were like, what, what do you even mean by this? So we were going around the villa, opened you know, the, the cutlery drawer in the kitchen. 
and there was knives and forks for 38,000 euros, which is like $45,000 just on cutlery. And this place was insane. And he just took the picture, signed, signed all the documents and left. And so many transactions like that have happened since where, you know, you've got, you see a type of wealth that, again, I'm from a working class area. I'd never seen any wealth, you know, millionaire was unheard of. Uh, where I'm from, like nobody was ever a millionaire. Now we meet multi-billionaires daily. And you, you find yourself in some really interesting transactions. <laughs> they got crazy lives, right? Yeah, man. They do. What do you think separates the billionaires from the common working class? Um, so I know what it is and it's how they think. Um, it really is. A millionaire and a billionaire are two totally different bred humans. They're totally different. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a millionaire. It's a great space to be. But billionaires understand they really understand how to be wealthy and millionaires understand how to make money and how to run businesses, but billionaires just get it. I've spent time with many of them. They're calm, they're, they're relaxed, and that's not because of their wealth because me or you would be extremely chilled if we had a billion dollars in the bank, and I get that, but they just have a different understanding on life, on family, on how to treat other humans, on business ethics. And you, you find that every story I've ever heard when I'm sat with billionaires, they tell me a very similar story towards their wealth. And a lot of them started off just like me. You know, they, they weren't spoon fed, but they just have a different approach on life. Here's a way to think about it. Don't think about the money. Don't think about how much money this makes you. Think about all of the problems you're solving. And that's not just in business, just with anything. If you're solving problems and being useful, your bank will be full. It will be full up. Absolutely love this. Mark, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business. This has been a blast. Super stoked to have you back on in the future, guys. Write down something that you learned from today, whether it's the billionaire mindset or how do you grow a team or run a company where you can give yourself access to your people, KPIs. There's so much we covered today that could take you from where you're at now to doing over a billion dollars in a quarter. So write something down that you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day, before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.